We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. We're talking players that can beat their ADP. Veterans to avoid in quarterbacks worth taking in advance of round 10 on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome on Into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by FFB Cast and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Uh, Matt, we will not be talking extensively about our main event team tonight, but two things. Uh, first of all, how are you? And second, is there a player that you'd put on your list as undraftable no matter what? Huh. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm still grinding out uh, NFL projections, almost done with all the teams. So I will be glad once that is off my plate. Um, is there a player who is undraftable? Yep. Uh, I, I don't know. It's probably not. It just, uh, it just kind of depends on ADPs, which is like a weak way of weaseling out of the answer. But um, I mean, I guess I would say any quarterback going off the board before Kyler Murray is probably undraftable. <laughs> All right. um, I like it. That, that's also like a, a weak way of, of getting out of the answer. Um, like, I guess a real answer would probably be Todd Gurley at this point. Um, I think there probably is just too much risk with him. So yeah, I, I see he's the real answer. That's an exceptional, uh, an acceptable and actionable answer, I would say. So uh, before we get into the Harbs Nights episode, 
we want to tell you again about a really cool up-and-coming fantasy football company called FFB Cast. They record custom podcasts for your fantasy league. Right now, FFB Cast has an ongoing special for their draft recap episodes. One of their hosts will break down your league's draft, critique poor decisions, shower praise on those who earn it. And this year, they've added ADP check-ins with Denny Carter. Denny will give his two cents on where players are drafted relevant to their ADP. FFB Cast provides many options when it comes to covering your fantasy league. Their quick clips episodes offer a video option where FFB Cast will live stream the recording on their Twitch channel, all while displaying your league's web page. Don't forget about their weekly recap episodes as well, beginning week one of the NFL season. FFB Cast also offers the opportunity for you to hire industry experts to make guest appearances on your podcast. Follow them on Twitter at FFB Cast. Check them out on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Then head over to FFBcast.com today for your league's very own custom podcasts. Okay, Matt, let's talk right now some players that can beat their ADP. So I'm going to list you, I wrote in the show sheet five players, but I actually collected only four for each, in some cases three. You tell me out of those players in their current uh, FFPC best ball ADP, and it's important to note that it's FFPC as there is tight end premium scoring. Uh, You tell me which player you think has the best chance of beating their ADP. We will look at running backs first. Derrick Henry at 33, Devonta Freeman at 34, on Johnson at 35, or Josh Jacobs at 37. And those are overall, obviously. Yeah, uh, I would probably go with Josh Jacobs at 37, which it's funny, you know, I just, I, I guess I wouldn't say I've had a huge change of heart on him, but I didn't really think he was anything all that special entering the NFL draft. But, you know, leaving the draft, he's on a team that doesn't have much else at the running back position. And he's a 21-year-old rookie, uh, you know, who has good size and sufficient athleticism uh, and, and was efficient uh, with his opportunities in college, even though he didn't have a lot of volume-fueled production. So uh, I'm going to go with Josh Jacobs. I think out of these guys, he's the one who I think uh, is probably the likeliest to come away with like a season of 1,200 yards and 10-ish touchdowns. Derrick Henry, uh, I mean, that's pretty close to, to what he did last year. But uh, I think there's a little more volatility with his situation. Josh Jacobs is more of a three-down guy than Derrick Henry. So I think things have to go pretty well for Henry um, to hit that. Whereas I think Jacobs has uh, more opportunities to get to that level of production. I think that makes sense. I think that you could also make a case for Devonta Freeman as his ADP is somewhat depressed off of what we saw last season with Ido Smith backing him. Um, you know, maybe Ito isn't quite as good as we might think. Freeman gets the chance to control most of the running opportunity and the receiving opportunity returns to some of the form that he was under, you know, maybe three, four seasons ago. And he is an Atlanta team with a strong quarterback, strong wide receiving options could have a very solid offense this year. So I think Freeman is probably the player that I think you could make the strongest case for outside of Jacobs. Um, but it is odd. Like you, I've been forced to kind of take Jacobs a little bit more seriously than I would like to. Um, but I don't see myself banking on him. So I, I would go with Freeman as my answer. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he's definitely in play. 
Yep. Dion Lewis, 141. Kalen Bellage, 151. Or Justice Hill at 152. I would go with Justice Hill in part because I think he has more upside in the event of an injury to a guy in front of him. Um, and so, I mean, obviously Deion Lewis has been productive, but I, I still don't really think of him as a guy who would be hugely productive if Derrick Henry were to get injured. I think there would still be a, a pretty big committee there. Um, and Balazs is just, he's fairly inconsistent. Um, he's more of a kind of like a size speed project type of guy. Um, and I just don't really trust that Miami offense in general, but he's going to, uh, he being Justice Hill in this case is going to have a carved out role anyway uh, in what I think is going to be a pretty run heavy Baltimore offense. And if Mark Ingram gets injured in front of him, I think Hill could have a massive season. Uh, And that's on top of the fact that he was already very productive in college, uh, consistently productive for three straight seasons. And he has great athleticism. Yeah, that that's all true. Now, when we first learned about Mark Ingram making the transition into the Ravens offense, you weren't too high on his prospects. Have you shifted at all on your view of Ingram? I think I was a little bit higher on him than you. I've kind of tempered that a little bit when I try to look at it objectively. Uh, where are you on that? Yeah, uh, I'm projecting Ingram for around 14 games played. So if he exceeds that, then um, I think he will probably provide value. If he plays just around 14 games, um, I think he will sort of be like a middling guy who does have around like a thousand yards, maybe a little bit more than that of overall production and you know, could have maybe close to 10 touchdowns, but I think that's probably the ceiling. And I, I think that's a little bit aggressive. But one thing that I think is definitely for sure is that he's not going to have nearly as much receiving production as he did last year, um, which I think will hurt him overall. Like he's he's in a fairly one dimensional offense. And if things don't go right, uh, I think that means that pretty much everything goes wrong with him. Yeah, uh, so I'm curious about two, about two things in your Ravens projection. The first being, where did you approximate their win-loss record at, as I'm assuming that would probably inform the distribution of runs to passing attempts that you would have. Granted, they're a team that is going to try to run perhaps a little bit more than they should. Uh, but, you know, kind of how did you approach that? And did it give that offense ample opportunity? Or is it the type of offense where there's only so much uh, fantasy goodness to go around? Yeah, so I'm going to give a kind of snaky answer and say, uh, like, one, I don't want to talk too much about some of, like, those particulars that have to do with, um, like, the high-level, like, team-level projections. Um, But I guess, two, (laughs) uh, you could just use, like, the win totals that are produced by Vegas and get something that I think is – pretty predictive in the aggregate. Uh, and then three, um, even with the the win totals that are available from Vegas, a lot of my process is somewhat agnostic to that anyway. Okay. And, okay. I, and I think it's actually, um, I mean, we'll just kind of see, but I mean, I think it's agnostic in a way that uh, is at least interesting to me and, and still kind of like uh, I, I'm thinking will be predictive, but in an outside of the box kind of way where I can maybe kind of go around some of the things that other people use for their projections. 
Wow, that is a mysterious answer, but uh, point yeah, it's, taken. It's, a, it's a horrible answer, but I, bottom line, I, I think this is going to be a pretty run-heavy team, like regardless yeah. of, of what their uh, game script is and whether they're winning or losing lots of games. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Uh, moving on to wide receiver, let's look at players in the 49 to 60 range. Robert Woods at 49, DJ Moore at 52, Chris Godwin at 54, and Tyler Lockett at 60. It's probably going to be DJ Moore for me. I mean, I think Robert Woods is fairly obvious in that we know what he is at this point. Um, you know, we have a pretty good sense of what his range of outcomes is going to be. DJ Moore is intriguing in that. Uh, I thought he was really impressive, especially in the second half of the season. And he was hugely productive in college, has great athleticism, and then was productive as a 21-year-old rookie. Um, I think we have this opportunity of kind of knowing that there's uh, a high upside unknown with him. So he's the guy that I really want out of this group. Godwin is also interesting in that he does have this high upside too. But um, I don't know, like uh, in the projection for Tampa Bay, I, I wasn't, I kind of surprised myself in that I wasn't as optimistic on Godwin as I thought I would be. Like I, he's still someone who really intrigues me, but DJ Moore is the guy I think has a really high ceiling out of this group. Yeah, I agree with you. Actually, uh, Curtis Patrick this afternoon published a piece on the site that was looking at how fantastic of a season DJ Moore had last year and some of the company that that groups him with into. And I came out of reading that piece even more enthusiastic about Moore. And I think when you look at where these players are going and the context of their situation, there is the most upside for Moore. And I think it's very possible he's the best player of this group with them all being in similar spots. Uh, I think he makes the most compelling case now. Yeah. I'd that's like all your, assuming that, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'd like to get your thought, uh, your thoughts really quick on Tyler Lockett. Um, because he's someone who is intriguing. I think he can step into, if not the Doug Baldwin role, something pretty close to it. And I think he could, um, you know, approach a thousand yards once again, a thousand scrimmage yards. Cause I think he will also get some rushing production too. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think we should expect regression in yep. terms of his efficiency, even as we see him get more targets and more overall opportunities. So I'm thinking he will be roughly around what he did last year, but probably with fewer touchdowns. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Um, I think that I'm kind of in the same place as you know. He had 10 touchdowns last season. So I don't think that we can bank on that. And it, it, it's interesting because I was actually talking about DK Metcalf in a piece that I was writing this afternoon. And one of the things I was talking about with Metcalf was for him to have a really successful or maybe not even successful rookie season, but just a season in which he's usable, I'm assuming that he'd have to get to 10 touchdowns. Now, last season, Lockett led the team with 10. Behind him, you had David Moore with just five touchdowns. So I'm not expecting that you could have a situation where Lockett has a lot of touchdowns and Metcalf has a lot of touchdowns. It is easy to see, though, how maybe with Metcalf and Jimmy Graham, a player like Lockett isn't going to repeat with those 10 touchdowns. Now, I know in the past, Baldwin, who maybe is a better comparable, for Lockett than any other player on this team did have a couple of seasons a couple of seasons excuse me with high touchdown volume but I don't see Lockett getting there and I do think that there's probably going to be somewhat of a drop in efficiency so though I like Lockett I'm kind of approaching this season 
with the idea that he's not going to appreciate and value a whole lot compared what he to what he did last year, even though I think he is the number one option in the passing game. Yeah, that that all makes sense. I think that is pretty much where I am. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Yep. Okay. Sterling Shepard, 114. Larry Fitzgerald, 117. Curtis Samuel, 122. And your boy, D.D. Westbrook at 124. But you like Samuel as well. So that's why I find this one really interesting. Yeah, it's probably Samuel. Um, I should say that I ended up being higher on Fitz than I expected to be when yep. I created the Arizona projections. Um, but I think some of that is just a function of one, how many plays I'm expecting uh, the Cardinals to run, uh, how relatively pass heavy I expect them to be. And then, um, you know, the fact that even though there are some really other dynamic pass catching weapons on that team, Fitz is still going to see, I think, you know, like a minimum of 20% market share. Um, so he's someone who's intriguing, but we have a really solid idea of what Fitz is likely to do. Um, so I want to shoot for a little more upside in this range. And to me, that's Curtis Samuel or maybe DD Westbrook, but I'd lean towards Samuel. Now, do you think that there's any, well, I, let me rephrase this. If you went with DJ Moore out of the last grouping and you went with Curtis Samuel here, what do you think the odds are? Or what would this Panthers offense have to look like for both of these players to beat their ADP? Um, I think both of them are going to beat their ADP. Um, even if it's, I mean, I, I mean, I think basically the offense needs to be fairly similar to what we saw last year except with maybe a slightly healthier um, Cam Newton. Yep. But I'm not really projecting all that much more than what happened last year. So pretty much just that the offense is, roughly speaking, what it was last year. But um, there's no Devin Funchess, which I think is a, a pretty big opportunity for those other two guys. Yeah. Now, I think... Um, mm. This is a really tricky for tricky one for me because I think when I look at it objectively, I want to go with Fitzgerald just because of where that range is on that ADP. But it's entirely possible, and I think it's very likely. Well, I shouldn't say very likely, but you know, maybe it's fifty fifty that Christian Kirk actually becomes the focal point of that offense. Obviously, you have the two young rookies there, but I think that what Fitz is going to be doing is kind of, you know, his own role. That 20% number that you said sounds about right. I mean, I should just say, like blanket statement, I should say I have Fitz projected for more fantasy points than right. Curtis Samuel. So, you know, in theory, I should say Fitz. Um, and in certain situations, like if this is spread across a portfolio of teams, then I would take Fitz, you know, in, I don't know, 
20% of, of these scenarios, but Curtis Samuel is still the one that I am much more interested in just because of what I think of as his upside. Yeah, you know, it's interesting also that Sterling Shepard has the lowest ADP or the best ADP of these four players because I think that he's likely going to be playing in the offense that's going to make it the hardest for him to accrue points. He's also playing with two other uh, options in that passing game that I think could command more opportunity and might be better than him. So it's interesting to me that he's, you know, the first player of the, of this grouping going off the board. Yeah. And like they have redundant skill sets, like Sterling Shepard is just maybe like a lesser version of Golden Tate. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, they play almost the exact same position in terms of like their skill set and, you know, what they do in the middle of the field. And uh, Evan Ingram, might even be better than those two guys just in terms of his ability to produce with the ball in his hands in the middle of the field. Although like, I mean, Golden Tate is obviously like a a yards after the catch uh, deity in terms of what he's done (laughs) to this point in his career, but he is aging. But yeah, Yeah. Sterling Shepard out of the pass catching options uh, in New York, he's, he's like the least interesting to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, at, at some point, too, I want to talk to you about Golden Tate because uh, in the Rotoviz redraft rankings, in every pass that I've done, I've ended up with Golden Tate significantly ahead the rest uh, ahead of the rest of the pack. So I'm going to save that for next episode. Yeah. Let's look at some tight ends. Vance McDonald at 70, Austin Hooper at 77, and Trey Burden at 91. So there's a bit of a spread between Burden and the other two options. Uh, I'm not sold on Vance McDonald. I kind of like Austin Hooper as an option better, but uh, do you disagree? Uh, yeah, let me right now. Sorry, I am pulling up my Austin Hooper projections yep. to look. Um, yeah, I have Austin Hooper and Vance McDonald pretty much neck and neck. Yeah. Um, so I would go, but I mean, their ADPs are pretty similar, but I do have both of them ahead of Trey Burton. I would probably go with Austin Hooper. Um, but part of me wants to go with Vance McDonald, um, because I think there is a little more upside with him with the unknown of how the, the targets are going to be redistributed, uh, in the absence of Antonio Brown, uh, and then also, uh, in the absence of of Jesse James. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, like Hooper, I think might be a little bit safer and I do have him projected for a little bit more. Um, but McDonald, uh, I don't know. I I am just kind of intrigued by what his potential could be. Like, I think we know for a hundred percent, Austin Hooper will not have a thousand yards. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But Vance McDonald might, Mm. you know, like, like he, like he probably won't, but like there, there is a universe where uh, Dante Moncrief does nothing, you know, like he basically does what he's done to this point in his career. James Washington does nothing, fails to develop as a second year player. Uh, Deontay Johnson as a first year player out of a small school who isn't really all that athletic does nothing. And then it's basically Juju and Vance McDonald. Like that is within the realm of possibility. Yeah. You know, this, this is a tricky one too, because I think we could also make a case that given the discrepancy in ADPs with burden being so high that perhaps in 
a number of scenarios if we're just trying to envision different ways that things could play out that he actually ends up maybe finishing a couple spots ahead of where he is McDonald and Hooper finish maybe 10 15 below and then he actually is the player that's on top but let's just take this a different way I feel like Vance McDonald at 70 overall well I guess because it is a tight end premium league that just feels a little too high to me yeah, it is it is aggressive, but as you mentioned, it is because of the the tight end premium factor yep. in all this. Yeah. So um let's look at quarterbacks now. We have Jared Goff at 101, Jameis Winston at 105, Cam Newton at 107, and big Ben Roethlisberger at 114. Uh I will I will probably go with Newton, which is just like in keeping with uh my yep. love for DJ yep. Moore and Curtis Samuel. Um Jared Goff, I think we have a pretty good sense of what he's going to be. The same with Roethlisberger. There is like the unknown with Winston, uh, with uh him playing in this new offense, but he was also like in a really great offense last year, and I, I think we have a sense of what his yeah. upside is from that. Um but Newton, assuming he is healthy and, you know, he has, uh, you know, started throwing the ball again, he's expected to be ready uh, for training camp. So assuming he is normal Cam Newton, um, you know, I think he's a top five fantasy quarterback. That's just sort of historically what he's been when he's been healthy. Um, And if that's the case, I definitely want him at his ADP. You know, that was my answer as well. Um, I think it's easy to lose sight, like you said, um, of how good he has been in the past. He says he's had a number of seasons where he's absolutely crushed it. And there's always the opportunity for him to contribute uh, with his legs, pick up a couple touchdowns um, throughout the season. You know, you know, McCaffrey is a great running back, but it's very possible, you know, you're in a short yard situation on the goal line. You prefer to have Cam push it in than McCaffrey. Behind him, there aren't any players that necessarily profile as, you know, have to give it to guys on the goal line. So I think Newton's my answer as well. Um, like you said, with Winston and, and Goff, I think we we know what we've seen. And then with Roethlisberger, I do think that there's going to be some degree of a step taken back in that offense, uh, though I still expect it to be somewhat uh, potent, uh, maybe not quite as strong as it has been in the past. So, yeah. I mean, one more thing that yep. might factor into this, um, like Newton is not getting benched. You know what I right. mean? Like he's the only way he's not playing is if he's injured, but Winston potentially could get benched. You know, like he's in a a do or die season and if halfway through the year he's not playing that well and they already sense, you know what, like we're not re-signing him, there's a there's a chance he could get benched. Right. And I think it goes back to what we've talked about before. We have not seen Jameis Winston make any progression at all in his NFL career. I really believe that we have not. So I think it uh, is not a good uh, bet to bank on it happening this season yeah, despite the change in offense yeah yeah all right uh for before we get into the next segment uh rotovis fans we want to take a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the ffpc the home of season-long high stakes fantasy football it may be the off season for most people but it is definitely not for our listeners or the players at the ffpc if you're a diehard who's ready to draft now the ffpc best ball leagues are already open uh with drafts forming daily starting at just a $35 entry fee, the time to start practicing for your drafts is here. There's no better way to do it than with best ball leagues. Uh, over the last few years, they've become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players with almost 300 
active dynasty leagues starting at $77. And they even have a $5,000 entry dynasty league. Not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. You definitely want to check out their dynasty leagues. Also, the uh, FFPC main event, come play against Matt and I. Uh, so, Rotoviz listeners, go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. All right, Matt. Uh... We are going to talk about some veterans, and I want you to tell us if at that ADP that they are currently at, we should avoid them. We're going to look at these players in the context of their own position. Are they fairly priced? Lamar Miller as running back 34. Is that too high, too low, or just right? Uh, I think he provides some value there. One of the things that's really telling is that the the Texans did not draft a running back this year, even though I think they were probably expected to. So they are going into the season or at least training camp with uh, Lamar Miller and Dante Foreman. And even though Foreman um, has gotten some uh, some hype and was really interesting when he entered the league, um, he's never really been a a proven pass catcher. And then, of course, he's coming back from a pretty devastating injury and really didn't show much last year. And uh, it's an injury that uh, I don't believe any running back has really successfully come back from. So I think we're going to see Lamar Miller basically do what he did last year, which is what he did the year before that. Like, it's nothing really all that special. But at the end of the year, it would not be surprising if he had... 1200 yards like collectively from scrimmage and six touchdowns which at running back 34 is actually pretty good i agree with you um miller is another player that in the redraft rankings i end up being higher on than everybody else and that's just a function of there is nothing that has changed in that offense that leads me to believe exactly like you said that he's not going to going to be able to repeat what we saw last season. Am I expecting him to be a player that you're going to start every week? Probably not, but I think that he's the type of player that you do want to draft because if you have to shuffle him into your rotation, it's going to be hard to find another player that's going to have the weekly opportunity that he will possess. So I think that right now he is a value. Moving on to LaShawn McCoy at running back 42, is Shady washed or is he a value at that price? Yeah, he scares me. Um, He's ostensibly the lead back, but I don't know. It really wouldn't even be surprising if he got cut before the season started, just based on some of the moves that they've made. Um, They have Frank Gore. They drafted Devin Singletary. They signed TJ Yeldon. Um, 
they really don't need LaShawn McCoy. Like, I don't, don't. I don't know what he brings to the offense that those guys don't have, uh, you know, collectively or even individually at this point. Um, so even if McCoy stays on the team, I don't have him projected for, um, all that much usage, uh, especially, you know, in comparison to what we used to see out of him. So, I'm not projecting him for a thousand scrimmage yards or really all that many touchdowns. Uh, I'm staying away from him. Yeah, me too. I don't think that it makes sense for the Bills to use him in an every down type of situation because he's not as dynamic as he used to be. And then it's not like you have a situation where the defenses need to be worried maybe about the uh, receiving ability of Yeldon at this point, or, you know, maybe the grinding ability of Gore or a wild card, maybe in Singletary, I guess my point is just maybe they can use those other players to get more of a spark than they do out of McCoy, or at the very least, if they're sticking with McCoy, I don't think that you can expect that much production. The offense is not good to begin with. Um, and also they're probably going to be in a lot of situations where they have to pass. Uh, I am looking forward to talking about Josh Allen more though on a uh, future episode, but I think we can move on from McCoy. This is an yeah. interesting one. Uh, these, these next two wide receivers, I find th- it very hard to determine, uh, what their value is or could be Keenan Allen at wide receiver nine. Yeah, I think he provides value. Um, or let me rephrase it. I think that's just about where he should be. Um, I don't think he's going to produce 10 touchdowns, you know, like, so he has, I I think a clearly defined ceiling. Um, but I think he has a very high floor. Um, you know, I think he's going to be the target leader on that team. He will probably be one of the target leaders in the league when the season is over with, uh, assuming he doesn't miss you know, more than a game or two. Um, and I think he's probably likely to get anywhere from, we'll say like 1,150 to 1,350 receiving yards and you know, we'll say six, seven touchdowns, something like that. So yeah, I think that is worthy of being a, you know, a low-end uh, top 10 receiver. I think I think that's pretty much where he should be. Yep. Yeah, I think what has happened with Allen is there have been a number of seasons now where people want to group him into that or label him as one of these players that has the upside to finish as the wide receiver one. And I think we're at the point now where we understand that's not going to happen. He's still a tremendous receiver, but he's not a top tier fantasy option. So I think at wide receiver nine, um, the expectations have been corrected and we're in the, a correct range right now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what are your thoughts on Julian Edelman? Whatever those are, kind of bump that up maybe a little bit. And that's what you should think about Keenan Allen. I think that, yeah, that's a great analogy. Um, and Edelman, we should talk about too at some point, because I think that it's going to be easy for people to overlook him this season. Uh, but let's talk about AJ Green at wide receiver 14. This is a player who at a point in time was a lock for top five status. What do you feel about that wide receiver 14 ADP? I think that's fair. And I think he, I don't think he should be drafted any lower than that. And at the same time, I don't know if it's worth the risk of drafting him any higher than that, but um, you could see him crushing that ADP. Yeah. 
Um, so he is someone I think provides value at wide receiver 14. Although like, I don't think he should really be drafted much higher than that. So it's, it's that kind of this weird situation. And I think you see this with guys who are kind of at this, like his stage of the career where he could hang on to another season of elite production, or he could continue to slide down. And and so he's kind of priced in that middle range, but Um, if he stays healthy, I think he will continue to be the guy. The one thing that is a little bit troubling is, uh, Tyler Boyd was productive last year. Um, I don't really think all that highly of Tyler Boyd, but, uh, I could be wrong, you know, so it could be a situation where he continues to produce. He takes targets away from AJ Green. Maybe Tyler Eifert stays healthy, <laughs> which is almost unthinkable. But maybe that happens, and you know, maybe he takes some of the uh, the red zone targets away from AJ Green. So, like, there are possibilities in which, like, he could stay healthy and he could still fail to produce at the level he, uh, you know, was currently producing at. So it's, it's a situation where like there are multiple levels of uncertainty with him, but I think he provides value where he's, uh, where he's going. Uh, I think I agree with that mainly. I don't think that he necessarily represents value because we need things to break in a more positive direction for him than what feels to me like his median outcome this season. Um, but I am kind of okay with, with drafting him in that spot. But I do think now we've seen enough things in the arc of his career that it does make sense to move him down in our perception to around this ranking. So I'm not avoiding him, uh, but I'm probably not going to go above that wide receiver 14 ADP because though there is somewhat of a, there's some upside there. I don't think it's at a degree that you might get with other players in that range. Um, at least now. All right. Alshon Jeffrey at wide receiver 30. Yeah, this is a weird one. Um, <laughs> I think he, I think he's probably fairly priced um, based on the numbers. He like, I'm projecting that he will provide a small amount of value where he's being drafted, but there's so much potential downside with him that he's someone I just want to I like I just want to avoid. Now, for you the downside, how much of that stems from the other receivers or how much of that is just uh innately Alshon Jeffrey? Oh, man, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, um it's the age, it's the fact that and, and I guess tied in with the age is the possibility that he could miss more games and or he could be less efficient than he has been. Um but then, yeah, Deshaun Jackson is back. They drafted J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who I think is kind of like a clone of Alshon Jeffrey, just in terms of his skill set. Um, and Dallas Goddard could develop and steal some of the targets that otherwise would have gone to Jeffrey, um, you know, just as another big-bodied guy who can dominate yep. uh, in the middle of the field. So, uh, yeah, I think it's possible that Jeffrey could slip into just being kind of like one of the guys instead of, you know, like the number one wide receiver. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you mentioned, Goddard, because it's easy to think of Jeffrey just in the group of wide receivers, but with how solid Zach Ertz is, he should be a fixer for that team on every play. And if they're trying to incorporate other elements into that offense, 
Goddard has looked good, and I think that on most teams, you'd be feeling very good about the prospects for the rest of his career. Uh, so when you you know you mix that in with the other concerns you mentioned for Jeffrey, I'm kind of with you there. Um, he's probably going to be a player that I, I have minimal exposure to this season. Uh, I forgot though, I do have Golden Tate on the show sheet at wide receiver forty. Let's talk about Tate. I think that's probably fair. I do have concerns with Tate that have to do with the offense, um, with the quarterback situation, um, with the fact that Tate didn't look all that great um, in the in the midseason trade, which is kind of its its own thing. But like going to a new offense, uh, he didn't look that great. So you know, going even now to another new offense, uh, there might be some growing pains. And wide receivers typically don't look all that good. Um, they don't produce all that well in their first season with a new team. Um, and you know, he's slowing down a little bit. So, and again, like, I think he's better than Sterling Shepard, but I might be wrong. Sterling Shepard is younger. Um, he could be the guy that they go to. He does have much more of a history with Eli Manning. Uh, and so that could be relied upon for him to still targets that otherwise would go to Golden Tate. Um, if Tate is called upon to play more on the outside than in the slot, I think that could be a, a problem for him. So, I mean, there's there's so much downside with him um, that, I don't know, I would rather at this spot, I would rather go with someone who I think has more upside. Um, but I do think he has a fairly uh, solid target floor. Um, so I could see the case for him and I think he fits his draft range, but he's not very exciting to me. Yeah, it's hard for me because Tate has been one of my favorite players. I look at that wide receiver 40 and I say, no, he's he's going to beat that. He's going to finish wide receiver 36 or somewhere around there. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> like do I really yeah. care about that? I probably shouldn't be. I shouldn't be drafting a player in the hopes of the wide receiver 36. I should probably go with a younger player somewhere in that range that is in a situation that looks like it's more conducive. Uh, you know, the other thing, too, is like you mentioned, even if Tate is better than Shepard we might be at a point where if Tate has lost a step and he's playing with these pretty atrocious quarterbacks he just doesn't have the separation that's needed or it's just easier for them in their mind to target a player like Shepard so there's just a lot to be concerned with and I I I will be drafting him scarcely this season as much as it pains me yeah, so I think the the way to think about someone like Tate and maybe like a kind of more of a macro perspective for drafts is once you get to a point in the draft where um, your options at wide receiver are people like Golden Tate, like hopefully you're pivoting away to someone else uh, at the position who has much more upside or you are just avoiding the position altogether and uh, – you're drafting a tight end or a running back or, or someone else. Uh, maybe you're finally going with a, a quarterback. Um, but like you're, you're kind of looking at these dead points where you want to avoid particular positions and building your board backwards from there. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, as you talk through that in my mind, I'm kind of going through an exercise of if I have to say to myself, how many weeks do I expect golden Tate to go above 10 points? How many weeks can I confidently say, I'm not sure that I get above more like three or four starts to feel like a bit of a stretch. So that's, that is not a positive sign. Yeah. I mean, the question at that point is basically how many touchdowns is he going to score? 
Yeah. You know, because like that's close to the number of weeks that it would be. And I don't think you can project him for like more than five touchdowns at the most. I agree. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Oh boy. All right. Well... On a sad note, let's move on to uh, look at some quarterbacks. And I want you to tell us which quarterbacks you think should be taken prior to round 10. So I have the ADP from um, FFPC Best Ball Leagues, which again, there's going to be some premium on tight ends. But we do see a number of quarterbacks making their way into uh, positions that would uh, put them ahead of round 10. Uh, you have Patrick Mahomes at 35, Andrew Luck at 64, Deshaun Watson at 73, Rodgers at 75, Mayfield at 83, Matt Ryan at 89, Kyler Murray at 94, Wentz at 95, Russell Wilson at 97, Drew Brees at 98, Jared Goff at 101, Jameis Winston at 105, Cam at 107, Roethlisberger at 113, Dak Prescott at 117, even Lamar Jackson in at 118. What is going on here, Matt? Uh, people are making sure that they get their quarterbacks, which, uh, I guess that's fine. I mean, it's, I don't know. I see. Here's the question. How far would Patrick Mahomes have to fall for you not to draft him? Like where, where is the line where if he falls, if he falls to pick 50, are you drafting him? I don't think so. I think for me, it's probably middle of the sixth round. And the reason for that is I think that there are players there that are going to offset the, um, let me say it differently. I'm going to be able to get quarterbacks that will approximate enough to offset my not taking Mahomes. That's a really poor way of saying it, but does that thought hold? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, so it's, yeah, it's hard because like, Obviously, we can't think of this in a vacuum because there there is like the constantly moving market and you do kind of anchor to ADPs. Yep. Um, so, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but um, bottom line, Kyler Murray is the guy I want. Um, I think he has, <laughs> you know, I think he has quarterback number one upside. And uh, as long as he's available outside of the top five, I'm not taking any of the guys in the top five. So I'm just pretty much waiting. And when it looks like there's the point uh, where Murray might be going, that is probably when I would jump. And if yeah. that happens, uh, you know, in round, you know, eight, nine, ten, whatever it is, um, I would probably be fine with that because I just I, I think what matters is kind of the teardrop. Um, and I think he's he's the end of that tier, even though I think he should be. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say that like a rookie should be near the top of the number one tier, but like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm way too optimistic on him probably, but, uh, I don't know. I think, I think he has the chance to, to be very dynamic and given that you can get him 
as the well, anywhere from like six to 10th quarterback off the board, I think there's a lot of value. <laughs> Am I to assume that you're going to advocate for us taking Murray as our uh, quarterback in the main event? Uh, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm going to start trying to get myself on board with this, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. I like Murray a lot, but I just don't know. Um, I, so here's here's the question. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think he's better than Josh Allen? Yeah, I do for sure. But I, I do think there's some range of outcome or there's some outcomes where Allen scores more points. Yeah, I guess what I'm I'm thinking is that if Josh Allen, whenever he had um, whenever he returned to the lineup after his injury, uh, and at that point he had Robert Foster on the field. So like he had more competent wide receivers around yep. him. He was the number two fantasy quarterback from that point forward. I see and, where you're going. Yep. You know, like my thinking is that we can get someone basically with that potential, except in a much more dynamic offense with a, I think a really forward thinking play caller. Um, and uh, I don't know, someone who I think he's going to run a lot. I think that's kind of the hidden factor in all of this. Like the projections I've been looking at, I think everyone is too low in how they are projecting uh, what he's going to do as a runner in terms of the number of times he's going to run. Um, so I think he's going to run a lot. And I think he's going to be, it, this might sound weird, but he's going to be a run-heavy quarterback in a pass-heavy system, which is like the dream. Yeah, It is not just a pass-heavy system. I think they're going to play a lot. Like, I, I think they're going to run a lot of plays. Like, they could lead the league in the number of plays that they run. Um, what is, I think even more important in all this is that their defense is likely to suck, but I don't (laughs) think it's going to suck in a way that, um, means that their offense doesn't get a lot of plays. I think their defense is going to suck quickly. Like they will give up points quickly. So it's not like teams are just sustaining drives against them and their offense isn't able to get on the field. I think their offense is going to see a lot of time on the field. And uh, even though their offensive line, I don't think is going to be all that good. I think a lot of it can be schemed away because of Murray's ability um, as a scrambler. And then also just because of the scheme Um, at Texas tech, uh, uh, coach Cliff Kingsbury didn't have really much in the way of offensive linemen in terms of guys who were actually good enough to make it to the NFL, but um, they didn't allow many sacks at all. And I think we've seen uh, with the success in LA that you can have a team that just goes from having a porous offensive line to a slightly better offensive line in a much better scheme. And all of a sudden you have a quarterback who looks really functional and isn't getting sacked. And because he's not getting sacked, uh, he's turning those opportunities into either pass attempts or uh, rushing attempts. So I'm just, I am very bullish on Kyler Murray. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to say how high I'm thinking about taking him in dynasty leagues, but like, I just, I, I want him everywhere. I'm bullish on Kyler Murray as well. And I expect to see a decent turnaround in Arizona, but I have to ask In your analysis of this team and your um, exuberance, if you will, do you think it's possible that you might be anticipating too much progression and not enough hiccups for a first-year coach and a first-year quarterback? Totally. That's that's entirely possible. But like I've tried to build that into my projections. 
So like where I could be conservative, I, I feel I have been. Like I'm not projecting Murray for as many rush attempts as I think he will actually get. Which <laughs> right. I don't even want to say how many rush attempts I think right. he's going to get because I will probably be wrong. Well, but so like yeah. I, I have tried to scale it back yet be what I think is realistic. So like I'm trying to thread the needle between uh like realism, conservatism, and searching for upside ism. So yep. Yep. it's it's like yeah, it's like this this blend of of everything. But um yeah, I don't know. I, I think this offense is going to be pretty special. If you like, I think the impact that uh, Kingsbury is going to have is going to be something akin to what we saw with Chip Kelly. Mm. And even if you think that Chip Kelly was a hack and like maybe his offense wasn't really all that great, I think there are things um, that are different. Uh, between these two systems that are uh, and like we've seen systems similar to, to Kingsbury's have success in the NFL. So I think there, there are things that are different about the system, but I'm thinking more in terms of like pace of play um, and right. Chip Kelly's teams, you know, even the, that last season with the 49ers, if you include that, like they were routinely near the top of uh, like on average near the top of the league in pace of play and number of plays run. And I think we're going to see something similar to that in Arizona. A couple of thoughts. And I think the first one I want to mention is with Chip Kelly. I, I don't know how much of um, his flaming out of the league was necessarily the actual play calling and how much of it was personnel management and, and right. uh, yeah. you know, yeah. the different considerations that you have in running a team in the NFL versus in college. Now, to the Kyler Murray aspect of this, what I do love about this is you feel really good about Murray. You feel really good about this offense and you're going with it. Because uh, I think too often what we do as fantasy players, too often what we do as analysts is we just try to bring things back into that average range. We get too influenced by other sources and that isn't really doing what we need to do. Like if we really feel strongly about a player, I think that you're better off to go after him and really seek him out, not getting ridiculous with where you're drafting a player, but kind of following your line of thinking on that. Cause there's so many situations where you might get suckered into another player because other people are touting this player. You don't really feel good about it and you go ahead and you draft them or, or maybe you move them up in your rankings more than you should. And that player doesn't hit. So I really think it's better to, uh, go with what you've actually concluded. So I think that makes sense. Here's, um, here's the one yep. thing I, I will say, and it kind of gets back to that question you asked earlier uh, about the Ravens and how I was projecting. If I've made a massive mistake in mm -hmm. the projection with Kyler Murray, it has much more to do with my assumptions about the team than I think it has to do with my assumptions about him. Sure. You know what I mean? So yep. it, it, it'll be like, oh, Kyler Murray attempted 100 fewer passes than I thought he would. It would be like on, on yeah. that type of level, you know? Yeah. So that's, I, I think that's where. Um, there might be the most room for uncertainty with him. Perfectly fair. Before we close out, th this is the other thing I'm thinking as I look through the current ADP that we see. 
You have a player like Jared Goff going at 101. Two rounds later, you have Philip Rivers, Kirk Cousins right in that 124 range. Yep. Is Goff really going to be that much better than those similar options that you need to go ahead and take him there? I'm thinking no. I'm I'm thinking when looking at this or Winston at 105, you forego those guys and you get the players like Rivers and Cousins at 124. At that point, I think we're in a range where it's a lot more appropriate to get your quarterback. Totally agree. Uh, Rivers is sort of like the the perfect Goff arbitrage. Like you you know what Rivers is, you know what Goff is. Um, yeah, I, I think they will be roughly equivalent in terms of the production that they give this year. Yeah, and then I also um, Baker Mayfield at like eighty three. I know that he was decent last season. I know that offense has improved, but I'm just not sure that makes it, that makes a lot of sense to me. Do you think that it can? Do you think that maybe Mayfield picks up enough production with his feet that offsets? Well, let's let's look at it like this, right? You have Aaron Rodgers at 75. Mayfield only a couple spots below the next quarterback off the board. What's Mayfield going to do that brings him up into that range to, to kind of say it differently? Um. I'm I'm pretty bullish on him too, so I'm maybe not I'm maybe not the right person to ask about this, but yeah, um, no, that's why you're the person to ask about this. Explain I, to me why this makes sense. I mean, I think if you look at what he did in the second half of the season when he had Freddie Kitchens as his coach, um, there is a lot of room for optimism. Now, granted, like it's a small sample, and so there's a question as to like how representative it is. Like you know, they're they were playing against some trash defenses. But um, I think you kind of project the fact that Kitchens has uh, an offseason really to implement his offense. Mayfield uh, is making that progression, we would hope, from first year to second year professional. Uh, You add in, I think, one of the best playmaking receivers in the game with Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Antonio Callaway uh, potentially takes another step forward in his second year and becomes, like I think, a very good uh, number three receiver in that offense. So not someone who like really makes a huge difference, um, but someone who the other team has to account for. And if they don't, then that means that uh, he scores a long touchdown. David Njoku moving into his third season, uh, the addition of Demetrius Harris, uh, who again, like it's hard to say he's going to be a huge difference maker, but as a number two tight end, I think he has a lot of potential. Uh, and then the development of Nick Chubb, uh, the addition of Kareem Hunt, and then uh, adding Todd Monken as the offensive coordinator. And hopefully he and Freddie Kitchens can really meld their two different approaches. But we saw what Monken did last year with Jameis Winston and uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. You kind of have to think that uh, given the way that Monken likes to attack downfield and given how aggressive Mayfield is as a downfield thrower and then how good Odell Beckham Jr. is um, at catching the ball down the field, like there's a lot of potential here. So I'm I'm pretty bullish. Okay, Uh, to close out. Baker Mayfield's ADP is 83. You have Cam at 107, Ben Roethlisberger at 114. With that in mind, are you drafting Baker Mayfield at 83? No, no. I'm, I'm waiting for Kyler Murray. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I'm sure your, your, your wife loves having conversations with you. 
we don't talk about sports, so of course she loves having conversations with me. <laughs> All right, hey, um, out, out, out of the football questions now, who does the majority of laundry in your household? Uh, well, easily my wife, but that's just because she wears more clothes and okay. works out of the home. So, you uh, know, that would do it. Yeah, okay. That, that will do it. Yeah. How often? All right. Let me rephrase this. So when I put my clothes into a hamper to get washed, I do not flip them inside out. Now my wife insists, and I don't think that there's any evidence to back this or any real compelling reason that it needs to be turned inside out. And it bothers me because though she does far more of the laundry and the folding and whatnot, when I fold it, it bothers me that I then have to flip all of her clothing from outside uh, in. Now, this is harder than you might think with some female garments, dresses, shirts. It's really hard to get them correctly, um, like unfolded inside out. Or, and I don't yeah. think that there's any compelling reason to do this. What's your take on this? Do you think they need to be flipped inside out? So her thinking is that if you flip them inside out, they get cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's uh, any science to back that up. That's what I'm saying, man. Although they're, I mean, it's, it's a theory, you know, but I mean, uh, I can see how, yeah, yeah, you can make the case for it, but I don't know if it's worth the effort. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's more about the temperature than the surface area actually getting exposed. And these are semi-permeable materials, right? The soap is making its way to the inside. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to ever, you know, tell, you know, anyone that uh, his wife is incorrect, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet that you would need to uh, turn your clothes inside out. Mm. Um, But at the same time, uh, this would totally seem to me to be something not even worth having a conversation about. Um, like I would just be like, okay, whatever. Um, but part of it is, I mean, I do my own laundry. Mm. Uh, she does her own laundry. So it's not like a communal thing. I hear so you. I, so I wouldn't have to deal with this anyway. But even if I did have to deal with it, I wouldn't have the conversation. Hmm. I do it, but um, it's in a very, very, very mild form of protest if you will yeah um good good for you okay um i just don't go that i i don't i don't go that place okay that's fine um and uh being an extremely passive person as i am this is this is the the smallest of protests this is not on a tenement square level by any means <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not planting your flag on this yeah no i'm not also okay. uh i'm assuming that well I don't know. Did you enjoy the movie Superbad? Uh, yes, I did. When he swallows the Tenement Square pictures. Oh, my God. That just popped into my head. Yeah. Uh, really good movie. Yep. All right. On that note, Matt, I think that we can close down. But before we do, uh, we want to remind everybody that you can get a listeners only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content. And best of all, it supports the pod. And as a thank you for your awesome support, we have a Rotoviz NFL pass to give away. All you need to do is enter. Um, or excuse me, all you need to do to enter is to subscribe to and rate the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Do us a solid and hit that rate button. And in doing so, you gain an entry to our giveaway. Each Rotoviz podcast, um, you can rate and review. 
Um, and so if you do different pods, those will all count as entries. The more reviews, the more chances you have to win. And the other cool thing is if you are a current Rotovis subscriber and you win, uh, we will add on an additional year to your current sub. So there's no reason not to enter. The winner will be announced on an upcoming show. Rate and review the Rotovis network on iTunes and enter now. That's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out RotoViz. And if there's any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to RotoVizRadio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.